to kind of give you a, a quick little uh, landscape. Uh, today's just going to be kind of a standalone uh, message. We're going to be talking about leadership and eldership this morning. And uh, then next Sunday, uh, we're, we're starting a new series called Road Trip. And uh, when our uh, elders and staff got together at a retreat several uh, years ago now, we were kind of talking about who we wanted to be and what we wanted to look like. And uh, the imagery uh, that we came up with was a family journey, a family road trip, basically, uh, that, that is journeying together to be more like Jesus. So this is a series about uh, what it looks like for that vision to come to fruition, what it means to be a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit in that series uh, um, uh, about phase two of, of the building project. We want to kind of get started on that and uh, get that across the finish line. It's not nearly uh, because of all of your uh, generosity. It's not nearly the undertaking that phase one was. Uh, but uh, we do want to um, talk about getting phase two across the finish line and ultimately uh, getting all the kids at one check-in point and uh, youth ministry space renovated downstairs, things like that. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. There'll be a lot more details unfolding on that. So uh, let's go ahead and pray and then talk a little bit about leadership, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. Uh, we thank you uh, for that he is the ultimate good shepherd and uh, he leads us well and we want to be like him. Uh, so again, we thank you for his example. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. A lawyer uh, ran a stop sign and was pulled over by the sheriff, and he thinks that he's going to pull some kind of funny business here and that he has a better education and he's smarter. And so the police officer asked for his license and registration, and the lawyer asked, what for? And he says, well, you didn't come to a complete stop at the stop sign. The lawyer said, well, I slowed down and I saw that no one was coming and uh, you don't have to come to a complete stop. I just saw no one was coming. I went right through. The police officer said, Li license and registration, please. You have to come to a complete stop. And the lawyer said, listen, if you can show me the legal difference between slowing down and stopping, I will get my uh, license and registration and you can give me a ticket. If uh, you can't demonstrate the difference between slowing down and stopping, you, you let me go without a ticket. And the sheriff said, that sounds okay. The police officer said, that sounds good. Get out of your vehicle. And so the lawyer got out of his vehicle and the police officer uh, took out his nightstick and started hitting the guy in the leg with his nightstick. And then the police officer said, do you want me to stop or just slow down? Um, right? And... On, the, on this Labor Day, I, I want to kind of think for a few moments about uh, difficult jobs, right? Uh, difficult ways to labor and difficult things to give your life to. I, I think being a police, police, police officer would be a very uh, difficult job, but I think there's a lot of difficult jobs out there, and um, I guess that's why they call it work, right? <laughs> uh, why they call it uh, laboring. And so first of all, on this Labor Day weekend, for all of you that are laboring, and however you do that, right? Uh, nurse, teacher, police officer, uh, uh, stay-at-home moms, all of that stuff. However you're laboring and working to make the world a better place, we want to we thank you for that. And the reason we, we wanted to start with Labor Day is that, believe it or not, when the Bible talks about church leadership, and specifically when the Bible talks about eldership, which is the specific form of leadership we're talking about today, it will often describe them as the laborers of the church, that they labor, they work for the good of the church. They use their leadership capacity and their leadership gifts to, to better the, the church body. And so we've been doing this for several years now. If you've been around for any length of time, you know we do this every year. Um, and I, I will be honest with you, I've told this story before, uh, but years and years 
years ago, we were trying to kind of uh, become unified as a church leadership and trying to find our way forward. And one of our elders came up with this idea. He said, why don't we preach and teach on church leadership and eldership every year? And I am not going to lie to you. I had, uh, 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 I, I had a reaction to that that I didn't want to do it. Uh, and the reason I didn't want to do it is because we have Mother's Day and Father's Day and Christmas and Easter and all of these special days, which are great, but this, this just felt like one more special day. And after a couple years of doing it, I was like, I saw the benefit of it. I saw how good it's been for our church. And I started to think to myself, I am so glad I thought of this idea. Um, and... <laughs> I'm so brilliant, right? And, uh, and uh, it's, it's really been positive. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I'm uh, in a kind of network with a group of younger pastors and leaders. And when uh, I give out advice, which isn't very often because I don't feel like I should be giving out advice, but one of the pieces of advice I give them is to start doing this. I think it's valuable for the church for us just to talk about uh, the role of elders, the role of leaders, and then the role of the congregation in relation to the elder and in relation to the leader. So we're gonna do it again. Uh, this was the year, I'm gonna be honest with you, this was the year because of Galatians that I thought about skipping it, right? And uh, right, right up until about a month ago, I was like, I think we're just gonna skip the elder sermon this year. We've been in Galatians for 12 weeks and it came right up to Labor Day. Like our crowd's gonna be really sparse for Labor Day anyway. Maybe we'll skip it. And there was this little thing, the spirit was like, don't skip it. Don't skip it, this is really important. So we're not skipping it, all right? So, um, so I want you to, I'm gonna put these up on the slide for you. We're looking at 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, and Titus, all right? And these are a couple of the main texts that talk about eldership and leadership in the church. And it says, here is a trust, trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a matter, manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as that of the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 1 Timothy 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church uh, well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. We talked about that text last year. Uh, kind of not the uh, nicest uh, <laughs> description of eldership, but don't muzzle that ox, you know. I wouldn't say it, but Paul did. So, um, and the worker do, deserves his wage. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses, uh, but those elders who are sinning, uh, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Titus 1. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might uh, put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe, and not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. 
Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, uh, especially those of the circumcision group, right? So if you've ever wondered, if you've been around here and you have heard us talk about our elders, um, and so you know, we are kind of an elder-led church. Uh, the staff uh, joins the elders in that, in that goal. We work together as a team, but we are an elder-led church. And if you've heard that uh, description before, you might wonder what exactly is an elder and what do, do they do, if, if you're not super familiar with that terminology. And the Bible really gives a, a few more than this, but basically three descriptions of the work of an elder. And the first work of an elder is that they are to oversee the church. They are an overseer. They're an overseer. This describes the leadership duty of the elder. The word literally means they're to consider, to examine, to look after. And so while we have all these ministry teams and all of these groups that do different work, a lot of them, they, they look after a specific area. So we have our kids ministry and our hospitality ministry and uh, our Sunday school teachers and all of these people that look after a specific uh, group or a specific people. The elder's role uh, the elder's duty is to look after the whole kind of beast, the whole ministry of Northwest. And they ask really big questions like, are we serving, as a whole church, are we serving everyone that needs to be served? Are we teaching everything that needs to be taught? Are we being effective in our mission as a, as a church? And their job is to look at the whole thing, not just part of it. And so they'll often talk in, in uh, leadership meetings about the gaps in our ministry and what we need to address. And this is really important because every ministry team, and this is not an insult at all. I actually love this about our ministry teams, but every ministry team is particularly passionate about their area. And they would love to see more of our dollars go to their mission and more of our volunteers uh, help them. It is human nature. But elders, you need at least one group in every organization. Elders say, let's look at the whole thing. Let's examine the whole thing and make sure that we're being effective, that we're working the way that we should. And because of the role they play, we don't get lopsided in one area. Right? And so it's really important. So they are to be uh, uh, overseers of the church. Elders are to be elders to the people. One of their roles is to elder, right? Is how the scripture would say it. And this goes to the example that they set, right? And so uh, P uh, Peter will say in 1 Peter 5, he says, to the elders among you, do not lord it over those who, who are entrusted to you, but be an example to the flock, Right? And so this goes to one of the core kind of charges of the elder. Uh, the role of the elder is to be an example uh, to the people. That one of the most famous chapters of the Bible is uh, Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, there's all of these examples of faith. That this person walked in faith. Abraham, Noah, Moses, all of these examples. And Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, is articulating that uh, eldership should be a modern day example of that. Of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now listen. This doesn't mean that your elders do that perfectly. I can assure you they don't. They're human beings. They don't do it perfectly. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes the greatest example a leader can set 
is, is to say, uh, man, I think I screwed up there. I think I messed up there. And to demonstrate healthy and good repentance when they fall short. So they don't do it perfectly, but in success and failure, I know our elders, one of their goals is that they would be an example in success and they would be an example in failure of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The apostle Paul said one time, follow me, he said, as I follow the example of Christ. And that may kind of rub you the wrong way a little bit. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's actually a really humble statement that, that Paul is saying, man, I am doing my best to follow Jesus. And Paul would be the first to say, Paul, you know what Paul said about himself? He said, I am the chief of all sinners. As a matter of fact, when you examine Paul's life, the longer he followed Jesus, the more aware of his sin he became. At one point early on in his life as an apostle, he said, I am the least of all apostles. Right? Of, of the 12 apostles, I am the least. By the end of his life, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. That's worse, right? And so Paul is becoming aware of, of his sinfulness. So this is not an arrogant example by Paul and I. He's saying, man, I am following Jesus. When I fail, I'm coming to him for forgiveness. When I succeed, it's because of his Holy Spirit. It's not because of anything I've done. Paul is just demonstrating a very biblical approach to leadership here that man, I am following after Jesus and I wanna encourage you to follow me as I follow Jesus, all right? So they oversee the church, they elder the people. And then the last is they are shepherds of the flock. This is the pastoral responsibility of the elders. And we don't have, I can't really say to you, hey, you know so-and-so the shepherd, right? We, we don't have a ton of shepherds uh, in our American culture, but typically uh, uh, in places where uh, shepherds exist, usually you would have a flock of about 100 sheep or so, and your job is to feed them, care for them, and protect them from predators. This is spiritually what elders are called to do. They are out within the congregation caring for the flock, uh, caring for them when they're hurting, visiting people in the hospital, teaching them God's word, uh, to protect them from false teaching that may come to lead us astray. And, and believe it or not, that does happen from time to time where we hear about a teaching that is taking place in a, a small group or Sunday school or something like that. And it's like, well, we need to examine that teaching a little bit closer and find out if that's thoroughly biblical. And this is the role of the elders. And I want you to know our elders are awesome. I hope you know what awesome elders you have. Uh, they take all of this so seriously. As a matter of fact, if you were to come to our elders meeting, uh, which is the second Thursdays of the month, uh, you would see this thoroughly on display. They are praying for you, often by name. They are praying for you. They are talking about your situations. They are serving you. They are involved in congregational life. They take this pastoral role and this leadership role so seriously. So this is the role of the elders. They are overseers, right? Uh, making spiritual decisions. They are eldering, they are setting the example, and they are shepherding, they are caring for the flock. And understanding what an elder does and what they are called to be is so important. And it's why we do this every year. And the first reason it's really important is it's important in the selecting process for eldership. Uh, that, let, let me say to you this way. Your understanding of what an elder is and what an elder does more than anything else determines who you are going to nominate and select as elders, right? So your, your selection of elders flows from this is what they are called to do and this is what they are called to be. So several years ago, 
Uh, a friend of mine asked me to come and do some teaching at his church on leadership and eldership. And uh, they were having some really rocky days as a church and uh, they'd been really struggling. And so I was coming in just to do some basic kind of teaching, almost like I'm doing today. And so I went in there and I said, so listen to this church, how do you all view elders? And one guy raised his hand, I'll never forget what he said. He said, my view of the eldership is that the people are in charge of the church and the elders exist to do what the people say. Democracy. And I thought to myself, well, no wonder this church is having so many problems. They have a very low view of eldership and a very high view of congregational authority. Now, let me be very clear here for a minute, just so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The people, the congregation, is not in charge of the church. But guess what? The elders are not in charge of the church. Who's in charge of the church? Oh, you're so good, right? And that's always the right answer in church. It's Jesus, right? Jesus is in charge of the church. I have a policy in my life that when somebody is killed and three days later they raise from the dead, they get to be in charge. That's just me, right? So this, let me tell you what was going on in this church then. This church was putting men uh, in positions that they thought would listen to them, and they should have been putting in that position men who would listen to Jesus, right? And that's a really important distinction. So I'm using this as an answer. You can see how a faulty perception of eldership would view to, to putting faulty men in that position, that we want people who will listen to us. No, no, no. You want people who are going to listen to Jesus, right? And, and follow his will and his desires for the church. Guys that will lead and care and set the example and do what Jesus calls them to do. Your view of eldership more than anything else will determine how you nominate and select elders. If you believe an elder exists to listen to you and do it your way, you'll nominate one type of person. If you believe an elder is a leader, that an elder sets an example, that an elder cares for people, if you believe that, you're going to nominate someone different. So here's what, here's what these passages teach us. You'll notice in the passages that I read that they talk a lot about, traditionally we call this qualifications for elders. Um, and uh, um, really what this is teaching us are some of the qualities you should look for in a person to know how they're going to lead. So if you believe an elder should set a good example or be a good leader or pastor for the flock, how can you know ahead of time whether or not someone you nominate for that position is going to do that well? So let me give you an example. How can you tell, for instance, ahead of time, is there any way to tell ahead of time that someone's going to be a good leader, a good example, or a good pastor? Let's take leader, for example, all right? So you, th you see leadership capabilities in somebody. How can you know ahead of time that they're going to be a good leader? Well, you can't know for sure. But the scripture tells us one way you can be relatively sure is uh, Paul says to Timothy, if anyone does not know how to manage his family well, how can he take care of God's church? So one of the ways that you can determine, is somebody going to be a good leader, is look at how they are leading their family. 
right? Are they leading their family well? And this is not about having perfect kids or a perfect family, right? This isn't about that. This is, are they leading their family well? Have they led their family to know Jesus better? Once uh, kids get to a certain age, they make that decision for themselves. But have they led their family to know Jesus and worship Jesus? And uh, is he making decisions to spiritually care for his family and protect his kids? Here's the way I think Paul would say it. Has he been an elder to his family first, right? Because if someone's not eldering their family, they're probably not going to elder relative strangers, right? So, so that, that's the leadership example. So if you believe an elder is called to care for people, how can you tell ahead of time whether or not someone's actually going to care for people? How do you do that? Well, look at the list of qualifications that the Bible gives us, some great things to consider. It says, first of all, are they hospitable? Right? Are they hospitable? Do they seem to generally enjoy being around people. If they do, they'll probably care for people. Are they quick-tempered and quarrelsome? If they are, there's a good chance that they will end up fighting for themselves uh, and try to make their point over the needs of people, right? So you don't want someone that's quarrelsome because they're just gonna fight for their point of view. Here's a big one for pastoral care. One of the qualifications is do they love money, right? A lover of money will put money before people every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So that's somebody that's not gonna be super pastoral. So that's like, how can you tell someone's going to care? How do they handle their business? How do they handle money? Uh, Are they hospitable? The Bible says there are some ways to know this with relative certainty ahead of time. If you believe someone is called to set an example, how can you know ahead of time if someone is going to set a good example? The passage tells us, look at their reputation with those outside the church. Have they pursued dishonest gain? Have they been dishonest in business dealings? You can tell a lot from that. Another great question is, is this a person who loves to be upright and holy in their dealings with others? Are they blameless and above reproach? Are they a person that is self-controlled and has a passion for the truth? Look at those areas and you'll see if outside of the church, if they're setting a good example in the way that they operate and the way that they live, within the church, they will probably set a good example for how to live and how to follow Jesus. So when you understand the role an elder is called to play, that they're leaders, they're pastors, they set the example, it affects the way you choose elders. But here, and this is the one I'm really passionate about. And if you've been around here for very long, you, you know I, I hit on this really hard. And I always get a few like uh, eyebrows raised when I hit on this really hard. Uh, there's nothing going on in this church. The reason I do this every year, this is preventative right? So when you have a correct view of what an elder is and what an elder does, it changes the way you select them. The, but the Bible says it also changes the way you treat them. It does. When you understand that they are laboring and that they are pastoring and that they are giving their life to the church, it affects the way that you treat them. So Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy five nineteen. He says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. That, uh, it, this comes from an understanding that, listen, when an elder is called to set an example and lead and do all of that stuff, you understand that if someone makes an accusation against a leader, that means somebody's example has been destroyed. That means somebody's teacher has been destroyed. That means that somebody's kind of go-to pastor has been destroyed. And it's not that an accusation never needs to be brought. Thankfully, we've never dealt with that in my time here. Uh, It's not that that never needs to happen. In the previous church, I did see it happen. 
Uh, it's not that it never happens, but you want it, uh, there, there are a couple uh, things that you want to make sure if you're going to bring an accusation against uh, uh, an elder, somebody who's caring for and loving the flock is, uh, priority number one is, is it true? <laughs> is it true? Right? And, and you say, I mean, does that really need to be said out loud? As somebody that has quite a bit of church experience, it does need to be said out loud. <laughs> Right? I, I have seen a number of elders and a number of leaders falsely accused because somebody did not like a decision that they were making over here, so they accused him uh, here. So it needs to be true. It needs to be corroborated. So there needs to be two or three people that are seeing the same thing because Paul wants to make sure it's corroborated. And then it needs to be brought by the current elders to work it out, and then we, we leave it with them, and we, we trust them to handle it. So true, corroborated, and brought, and brought to the nucleus of the current elders uh, to, to deal with it. And, um, and th that kind of is Paul's way of ensuring um, that false accusations uh, don't happen, which, like I said, that's rare, but I have seen it happen, but that the eldership in each local church is kind of insulated and protected in that way. So he talks about how you bring an accusation and then he talks about how you honor. This is really important to me that when you think about what an elder does, and just so you know, I think this is an important part time in the message uh, for me to say this. I'm not an elder. I'm a staff member. I don't want this to sound self-serving, right? I'm not talking about me here, right? Um, I, I'm talking about our, our elders um, that oversee me and, and our um, uh, above me in kind of our organizational and spiritual chart. So uh, I want to talk to you about honoring elders, that when you think about what these guys do, the leading, the setting the example, the caring, it drives us to this idea of making sure that we honor them. I want to tell you about our elders. A few of them are retired. Um, many of them still work all day and then devote their weekends, evenings, uh, free time, to praying for us, visiting us, uh, ministering to us. And I want you to honor them from an understanding of what they're called to do and be. Local church eldership is hard. It is easier here. I want to be honest with you. I, and, and I'm not just saying that because I'm your, your leader. It is easier here. I have seen churches that are absolute train wrecks on this. Um, one, of my, one of my heartbeats is when, whenever I can, I don't get to do this much. I like to go into those situations and help because I, I have such a passion for this. Um, and I can tell you the few times that I have, I have done that is um, uh, we, we, we do a pretty good job with this uh, of honoring our elders. But let me tell you a, a couple ways to think through kind of honoring them uh, for the work that they do. One of the things that I always think about in my relationship to our elders, I call it the caller ID test, right? As I'm thinking through where I'm at in my relationship with the elders, when I imagine myself and I'm calling them or I'm texting them, when they see my number, <laughs> what is their reaction? I want you to think about that for a minute in relation to you. The caller ID test. Um, that, that when I need to communicate with our elders, are they glad to hear from me? Or are they like, oh, what is it this time? What, what is it this time? And they could tell you how they react to my phone number. I don't, I don't know. But um, I, I want to be a person that they're glad to hear, that they are glad 
to hear from, that I don't want to be a person that complains all the, all the time, understanding that they carry a heavy load. They do. They carry a heavy load. Uh, the needs of the congregation are, are um, on their shoulders almost all uh, of the time. Um, and so I don't want to be a person that uh, comes to them with just complaints. That's the other thing I would say to you is that I don't want my, the totality of my interactions with my eldership to be complaining. So Cheryl and I have a rule in our household. We've had it for um, our entire marriage. And uh, this is brilliant. Uh, and you're, you're welcome to steal it. It's, it's just overly simple is why I say it's brilliant, kind of tongue in cheek. But here's the rule in our household. If you can let something go, you should. <gasps> Thank you, sensei. Right? Um, it's brilliant, right? If you can let something go, you should. If you can't let something go, you should address it. And so I, I think this is a rule of thumb that I have when I'm interacting with our elders. Um, and, and you can imagine in, in my role, um, I can be tempted to only bring to them problems, um, that something's kind of out of my control or something's out of my hands and they need to know it. But I, I try to remember the load that they carry and I try to remember that they need um, to hear from me outside of just problems. So I would encourage you to send encouraging, if you, have the, if you have the ability to text our elders or email our elders, to send them encouraging texts, to, to thank them for uh, the, the work that they do, to thank them for the job uh, that they do, to uh, thank them for the role that they play in our church, that we are by and large, uh, it's not that there's no problems here, but we are very blessed as a church. We are. We've not had a bunch of conflict here uh, the, the last 10, 13 years. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to speak to you before that, but we are very blessed. We've not had a ton of conflict, and that is, by and large, that is the role of our elders. I really believe that. It is their leading, their pastoring, uh, their helping. And never underestimate um, what a positive word, how far that can go. Um, I, I know that uh, every year... Uh, for my birthday and for special events. Like Cheryl will kind of get me a card um, and uh, she'll usually write a personal note in there. And uh, I always have this thing about cards, about, you know, the whole thing about cards is I couldn't think of a single thing to say, so this guy said it, right? Um, but Cheryl will usually write like a personal note in there because uh, she knows my rant about cards. It's like, oh, I couldn't think of anything to say to you. Hallmark did, right? Um, I'm kidding, but she will, she'll write a little note in there about what I mean to the family and what I mean to her specifically. And um, I will find myself going back to that card month, two months after my birthday and just looking at what she wrote. Hallmark means a lot in that moment too, but um, you know, <laughs> well, her words mean a whole lot more. It's like, wow, Hallmark really cares about me. Um, no, <laughs> and uh, I will read and reread those words. Never underestimate what a positive word does. I'm telling you that, that don't just bring uh, problems and complaints. And we're really pretty good at this, I think, uh, as, as a church. I, I don't, I'd ask our elders if they would back that up or not, but I think we're pretty good at this. But send them encouraging notes. Uh, honor them. Uh, encourage them. So what would happen, this is a question I like to ask churches, what would happen if we really took that seriously to, uh, to, honor, to honor our elders and to make uh, their joy, uh, to make their work, to make their labor a joy and not a burden. Understanding that what an elder does, understanding the load they carry, understand the role that they are called to play. And it's not about being 
It's not about being a perfect person. Because Paul, like I said, Paul would articulate that he wasn't a perfect person. It's not about being a perfect person. It's not about never failing. Um, it, it is about striving after Jesus. And when you read through this worksheet, if you want to pick one of these up in the lobby, when you read through this, this worksheet, that really is, I mean, if you, a, a lot of churches will view this as um, like a, a legalistic checklist. And it's not to be read that way. It is to be read in response to what an elder does. So like, for instance, you know, um, you know, the idea of like never losing their temper. Well, who can you say that about, right? About halfway from the upper peninsula to here, I was losing my temper, right? Um, so, you know, so, and I don't think I have a bad temper, although I guess everybody would say that, but do I have a bad temper? No, okay. <laughs> so I just having a psychological moment here, right? Um, but when you read, these become what they were intended to be. Um, that is this person a good leader? Look at their family. Look at what you know about them. Uh, are they honest? Look at their business dealings. Look at how they conduct themselves. So it's not ever meant to be a legalistic checklist. It's how does this person live? And would they be a good leader for the body of Christ? Because no one's perfect. And, and uh, n nobody fulfills the qualifications perfectly. Honestly, you could find a, 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 a way to check somebody off with any number of these. Like, I saw them lose their temper one time. Well, it was 118 degrees out, and they were, you know, you know, having a really hard time that day. And they were hot, and they were tired, and they were hungry. And that's when I usually lose my cool too, right? So it's not about, it's not about being perfect. It's about following after Jesus. So pick one of these up. Uh, pray about it, think about it, and if just, and I would ask you to rely on the Holy Spirit on this. As you're reading through this, just kind of, if the Holy Spirit impresses on you, man, this person seems like a quality person. They'd be a good leader in the body of Christ. Give us their name. We would love to, we would love to look at them and, and pray over them and get them a questionnaire and just talk to them a little bit more. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you again that he is the ultimate leader and the ultimate example for us. May we lead the way that he leads. May we live the way that he lives. May we follow his example. And uh, Lord, I wanna pray over uh, our elders in particular. Um, it can be a, a difficult job at times. It can, you can carry heavy burdens, uh, a heavy load, and um, I just wanna pray for them, that you would keep them encouraged and that we as a church uh, would uh, take it on to make their work, uh, that we, their, our elders would say that we make their work a joy and not a burden. Uh, may we be that type of church. I think we are. I think we are. I think we do a good job at that. Help us to continue doing that. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of the examples that we see in Jesus that we're going to celebrate right now as a leader is uh, self-sacrifice that Jesus laid down his life for his sheep and Jesus laid down his life uh, for his family. And so we're gonna celebrate that. The, the ultimate kind of moment for a good leader is self-sacrifice. It is laying your life down for the good of others. And uh, every parent understands this because at some point you lay down your wants and your desires for your kids. Everyone in a marriage understands this because at some point you lay it down uh, for your spouse. Uh, every worker in any field understands this. At some point, you lay it down for the good of the company. And Jesus teaches us this, that you lay down your life for your sheep. 
And, and he is the ultimate example of this. And so we're gonna receive communion together. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. Uh, one has some bread representing Jesus's body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is just a time for us to reflect and thank him for being the leader that he was and is. Um, the, to thank him for his self-sacrifice, to thank him for his work on the cross, to thank him for the leader, uh, the, the leadership example that he has set. And then to also pray, Jesus, may we be like you. Uh, may we be like you. So we're gonna receive communion together. You can hold on to those cups. I'll come up in just a minute and we'll receive it together all as a church family, all right? Uh, and uh, we'll have the ushers pass it out right now.